figured I'd start off with a baseball uh, analogy since uh, we're in prime October as the baseball season's coming to a close. And uh, the movie, if you haven't seen it, features Billy Bean, who was a top prospect coming out of high school. Everybody thought he was going to be the next superstar. And his career never really panned out, whether it be through injuries or by taking opportunities that he shouldn't have along the way. And so he got kind of this mindset that he was a failure, that since everybody, just picture, if everybody was telling you you're going to be great and you're going to be a superstar, and then you don't live up to that, all the pressure that was there, and then you have that letdown and you begin to feel like as if I really am a failure. And so as a lot of ball players, they go into either coaching or management. That's what he did. This is based on a true story, by the way. And he ends up at the Oakland A's. Not a great, not a great job. The Oakland A's, their payroll uh, typically is less than what the Yankees will pay their top player. Like the entire team at the Oakland A's is combined paid what the Yankees will be paying not just one of their top players, but probably a few of their top players. So how do you compete day in and day out, year in and year out, every season, when you have to field an entire team for what the Yankees are paying their top pitcher, their top hitter, and one of their top fielders each? I mean, it's just the daunting task of it. And so what he ended up doing together with this guy Pete is they began to use some statistical analysis to find a different way to scout players, select players for the team, and decide, well, we don't need one player who can get all these runs. We need a collective number of all these runs. To get all these runs, we need a certain number of people on base. We need to statistically wait later in the batting count because that's when you get statistically more hits, more times on base. So they basically statistic this whole thing out. And sure enough, if you look back over the records, the Oakland A's make the playoffs more times than they don't over the past 20 years since they've been doing this. And that's with a really low payroll. Now, do they typically get beat out by the Yankees or the Red Sox or one of those big teams? Yes, but uh, at the very least, you're not the bottom feeder in the league every year that your payroll would warrant you being. And so unless you want to resort to having trash cans be banged so you know what pitch is coming, it's really the best opportunity out there. Sorry, I couldn't help but th put that in since they're back in the World Series lineup again. If you know baseball, then you know what I mean. If not, just let that go right over your head. That's totally fine. So at the end of this season, after they've tried this, and the, sure enough, they made the playoffs, they set some records that year, they didn't win in the playoffs, and so once again, Billy Bean's looking at this like, and he's thinking, what? I failed. I failed again. Yeah, I failed again. I failed again. It didn't work. And his assistant's looking at him. He's like, failed, you're probably going to go in the Hall of Fame for having revolutionized the sport of baseball. And it wasn't just baseball, it was every single sport has started paying more and more attention to the statistics and to the analytics of the sport to be able to build a better team, to be able to have a more competitive advantage. I mean, it's literally revolutionized sports, all from the general managing offices. And yet, in his mind, because of the way he's been thinking throughout his entire life, he's concluded, I'm a failure. I'm a failure once again. And so that's why he shows him, of course, a picture of that guy who's out there and he thinks he you know, failed once again. He hit a home run, but he still thinks he failed and he fell flat on his face. And that's what he's thinking. And so at the end, he's like, it's a metaphor. He's like, yeah, I know it's a metaphor, uh, but it's hard to see it in our own life. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks. In the Bible, these, these deep patterns uh, of thought in our minds, these ruts that we get into that seems hard to get out of. And in the Bible, the, the 
Paul talks about him, he refers to them as strongholds. And this comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 6. It's a passage we're going to be looking at and applying it to several areas of our life over the next couple of weeks. But for now, I just want to begin by reading the passage. I'll give you some of the context for it, and then we'll you know, go into what exactly it's saying. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 6. Uh, he says, For though we live by the flesh, we do not wage war against the flesh, or according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Um, and then he goes on to say, and we'll be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Uh, the context for this is Paul has started this church in Corinth. There's a lot of problems. It was probably the most dysfunctional church in the New Testament, all kinds of issues going on. And Paul writes them a letter, and some things change a little bit, and then some other people come back up and say, you know, Paul's not here anymore. You know, he's out of sight, out of mind. What's he going to do anyway? And Paul says, well, I will do something, and I will be back to address it. But Paul is encouraging them to deal with the problems in their midst, not according to the way that we would in the flesh or the way that you typically would handle the problems, uh, but rather to do it on a spiritual way. And while he's encouraging them to do that, he's handling the problems that they're giving him in a spiritual way. So he's both modeling and teaching at the same time. And so what his uh, argument here to them is, is you need to address the thought behind the behavior. Now the behavior is destructive, but it's the thought behind the behavior that's the issue. And so that's what he's addressing, and that's what he's telling them to address when they're dealing with their own issues. And so he, and he refers to the issues out there that are causing the problems, that are causing the divisions in the church, that are causing people to put Paul down. He refers to them as strongholds. So what is a stronghold? What does he mean by a stronghold? Uh, well, the metaphor comes from the ancient warfare tactic of building up very extremely fortified positions. So back in the ancient world, uh, we talked I think in our last series about how walls were the state-of-the-art issue, and they would build these fortifications in the most incredible places. When we went over to Israel this past year, uh, one of the things that was just absolutely incredible was seeing where they would build these forts. And you'd look at these things carved into the side of a cliff. Picture, if you will, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, picture somebody carving into the side of the Grand Canyon a fort. And you say, how on earth would you do something like that? Uh, well, let me show you a little video of one of them we went to. It was a place called Masada. And uh, I'm just going to give you a background. Don't just start yet. The background on this is in AD 70, so this is about 30, 40 years after Jesus Christ dies on the cross, eventually the Jewish people revolt once again against Rome. Now, if you know anything about Jewish history, you'll know there is a long hundreds of years, thousands of years of revolting against whatever power tries to take them over. It's like the people feel like as if God's given them land or something like that, and so they're always at war over it. It's, it's an old thing. I don't know. So anyways, Rome has spent a lot of money trying to deal with the rebellions in this area. By the way, that's also the context for why they crucified Jesus Christ. The Jewish authorities knew that Rome would crush anybody who was a, in rebellion against them, and so they tried to paint Jesus out as a revolutionary. And so, of course, Rome's just going to take him out or allow them to be taken out. Well, eventually, Rome had had enough, and they come in and say, that's it, we are going to wipe these people off the face of the earth once and for all. And so they go in and they completely destroy Jerusalem. And they do. They take out the temple. The temple has not been rebuilt since. They take out the house of records, which is why nobody can prove their genealogy anymore, which is why it's impossible to prove anybody comes from the line of David and is the Messiah nowadays. And they take all of that out. Well, the remnant of the Jewish people 
flee out into the desert to a fortification that was built many years before by Herod. And when you see this place, you'll know why they went there. Because if there's ever a place that you could go up to that you couldn't be touched, it's Masada. It's impressive. So I'm going to be talking while the video is playing. So keep the music kind of low because I'm going to be talking as it goes on. So go ahead and play this. So this is out near the Dead Sea, uh, kind of in the southeastern part of Israel. And Masada is on top of this cliff. There's actually a fort up there. This was Herod's palace here on the front part. And also up on the very top was kind of the front of his palace right here. And then the Roman, uh, the, sorry, the uh, Jewish garrison would be in those uh, squares right there. And then this was like a little mini city up here. That's sort of a recreation of what it looked like with the modern ruins that are left there. Another picture of the recreation. It's another picture of, on ground level of what's left of Herod's palace on the front of it. You can see this whole city up here, storehouses of food, grain, even some animals up there. This is the aerial shot of the mountain. Looking over, that's the Dead Sea off in the distance. And what you're going to see here, these are the siege camps left over by the Romans. That's actually the remnants of where the Romans had their these squares, and they're all over the building. They basically surrounded it with all these little squared things that are still there. So how do you get up on top of this mountain? Well, very slowly. What they ended up doing, you're going to see here, is they ended up building a ramp right here up the side of this cliff. Now, you don't have excavators. You're doing this all by hand. And so they built this ramp over several years so they could make their way up and put a siege ramp like this just to get up to the wall and eventually be able to breach the walls to get in. So one more last shot of the ramp, the remnants of the ramp that are still there today. So that's the metaphor Paul's trying to use when he talks about a stronghold. He's talking about a well-fortified position. And uh, I'm going to come back to this metaphor multiple times as we talk about what a stronghold is in our mind. Uh, strongholds are th something that is deep-seated within your own mind. Uh, they are deep-seated uh, patterns of thought that have developed over a long period of time that affect your mindset, they affect your thoughts, they affect the way you see relationships, the way you see other people, the way you see the world around you, the way you see your value system. Um, and then you'll also notice in here, he talks about these strongholds, he says, uh, they are set up against the knowledge of God. Uh, in other words, they're formed by lies that we tell ourselves or that we are told over a long period of time. They are contrary to the knowledge of God or the wisdom of God or the truth of God. They are contrary to what is true about God. Uh, they are contrary to what is true about God's nature. They're contrary to what's true is about God's character. There's also contrary to what God says about you, that you were made in his image, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. They're contrary to what God has said about your future, that I have a future for you, declares the Lord, that I'm working all things together for your good. These, these deep-seated strongholds, these deep-rooted strongholds in your mind are lies that you've told yourself or have been told to you over a long period of time that are so ingrained in your persona that it's just how you think. It's just how you see the world. And they are a fortification that is really, really hard to take out. Uh, in the same way, you look at that fortification that was up on top of that mountain. There's, you would look at that and go, how on earth is anybody ever going to dislodge that? How's anybody ever going to take that out? Almost to the point where you'd be convinced there's no way to do it. And I picture some Roman commander sending word back going, they're up on the top of a mountain. Well, climb the mountain. You don't understand. It's not just a mountain. It is a cliff. It is a straight 
down cliff. There's no way we can get up there. Well, you're going to have to find a way to get up there. That would take years. So, do it. That's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take a lot of hard work. I don't care. If you understood what a problem these people have been for the Roman Empire and how long they've been a problem, you would understand my resolve in making sure we get rid of them once and for all. And that's the mindset that Paul is trying to communicate to us. Strongholds are the kind of things where you look at in your life and it's become so ingrained in how you think and how you see the world, you think to yourself, this is just who I am. This is just how it is. I'll always be this way. I'll always have this issue. That's because it's a stronghold and it's not going to get knocked down overnight. Uh, sometimes people say, well, is a stronghold an addiction? Is that really what we're talking about here? Uh, well, not exactly, but it's the thought process behind your addiction. The reason why you have an addiction is because of the thought process that's behind your addiction. There's some thought process that's a stronghold that is well fortified in the way you see the world that is causing you to deal with it or handle it in a way that is what you would call an addiction, whether that be a substance or a thing or a person. Uh, you have this addictive issue because of the thought process behind it. Some would say, well, uh, is, this like, is, is a stronghold like an emotion or something like depression? No, but oftentimes things like depression or, or emotions we have are because of a thought process that's behind it that is the stronghold because of the way your pattern of thinking and how you view the world, how you interpret information, how you interpret what happens around you, the way that it processes through your brain leads you to depression. Or for some you might say, well, is it uh, a way of relating to people, whether it be through jealousy or bitterness? Uh, no, but it's the reason why you have issues with jealousy, because the way you think when you see things or the way you interpret the data that you bring in, it always filters through this idea that I'm not good enough. Nobody could ever love me because nobody could love me. You're probably looking for somebody else to love because I'm unlovable. So therefore, anybody else comes along, I'm just going to assume you like them more than you like me. And so you see how this becomes a, this is a pattern of thinking uh, that's a stronghold in your mind that is really hard to dislodge. And so if you ever ask the question, why is it that it's so hard to change? Well, for a couple of things. One is because strongholds are really hard to take out. That's, that's back in the ancient world. That's why they built them that way, so they'd be really hard to take out. Uh, the other reason is because we try to take them out by methods that don't work. So if you just try to decide you're going to assault the castle, it's not going to work. Now, you'd say, well, how did they get up there in the first place? Why didn't the Romans just go up the way that those people got up there in the first place? Anybody already thought that? Well, there is a windy, snaking road that will get you up there. Uh, the problem with that is Romans have military formations that they use to protect them as they're going to assault a position, and they would also then need to have that battering ram or something to break down the actual wall when they got to the wall, and the whole path up there is designed that you would, it would be a death trap to go up there in any way, shape, or form. So it just was not possible to go up that way. In the same way, Paul says... The weapons of our flesh are not going to be of any use for this. Uh, what does he mean by weapons of the flesh? I'm just going to go basic military strategy. Basic military strategy is uh, have a bigger army than their army, uh, have more equipment than they have equipment, or more uh, better equipment than they have, uh, and then, uh, I'm not a good statistician or warfare person, so I forget what they are. Um, uh, it's somewhere in my notes. Uh, oh, and... More ammunition will beat less ammunition. So the idea is if we have a bigger army, we'll defeat a smaller army. How do we deal with that when we deal with the issues that we're facing in our life? We just put a lot of people on it 
And if we get more people addressing it, more people working with it, certainly it'll, it'll work. And then you come back with frustration and say, I just don't know what will work with this person. You know, everybody in the family is trying to work with them. All their friends are trying to, to get them to change. Their work's behind this change, but yet they keep going back to it. And you get frustrated because more people trying to work on the problem for this person doesn't change. Why? Because it's their thought process that's the issue. It's, it's some deep stronghold within their life, and more people addressing it doesn't fix it. It may work in warfare. Bigger armies typically meet, meet smaller armies, but it doesn't work when you're dealing with a stronghold. A bigger army, like the Roman army, couldn't just take out the stronghold. It wasn't going to work. Or what do you do? You throw more money at it. That's, that's a common way to fix all problems. And you go back, well, how... Right now, we're trying to throw more money at the wars that are going on in our own world, right? Throw enough money at it, better equipment, we'll ultimately win the war. But sometimes you go back and you say, we've spent so much money trying to get this fixed, and yet it's still a problem. Why is it still a problem? Because if the thought pattern hasn't changed, it's still going to be a problem. Or you'd say, well, let's go with more bullets. Fight fire with fire, right? Isn't that what they say? You're going to throw mud, I'll throw mud. I'll stoop down to your level. You're going to treat me like that? Well, I'll give you a taste of your own medicine. You ever try that when you're trying to change somebody else? Right? You laugh because you know it doesn't work. It's futile to try to work that out. And so he says the, the weapons of the flesh that we try to use to take out a stronghold don't work. Uh, they just don't work at all. Um, so what do we need to do? Uh, well, a couple things. It says we demolish the arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Now, over the next couple weeks, we're going to be applying this in three areas. So I'm not going to go too into detail with all of the illustrations on these three areas. We're going to be looking at behavioral issues, uh, the behavioral issues that we have that we often try, behavior modification. We think, well, we're just going to act different, get you to try to do something different, but we know. Unless you think differently, you're not going to behave differently because we behave based on how we think and here's the other newsflash. People don't think like you think. You say, well, I don't understand how they could look at all of this and still make that same decision. It's because you think differently than they do. You don't have the stronghold in their mind, in your mind, that they have in their mind. And that's why you don't understand why they don't do something different. It's because you don't have the same stronghold that they have in their thought process that needs to be broken down. We're also be looking at this in financial issues. And we think just, just apply it real quickly. Has money fixed world hunger? No. Why? Because money isn't the primary issue. It's one of the issues, but it's not the primary issue. It's the thought process of the people and of the governments that are in these locales that continues to create the problem. And so there's a thought problem. And that's why we often think, I've got financial issues. You know what would solve it? More money. No, 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 it wouldn't. We're going to be looking at that in more detail. Last series, we have a lot of stronghold issues are in our relationships, and how much time and effort and money have we put into fixing relationships, and yet we still have struggle with relationships, and that's because there's some strongholds in our relationships that need to be fixed. So I'm going to paint out to you basically the three-step pattern or the three issues we're going to be looking at and applying to each of these three areas over the next couple of weeks. Now, before I begin to share these with you, I need to tell you what they're not. Uh, what they're not is a easy one, two, three step on how to be a new person by Friday. That's not what they are. Okay, go back. The stronghold there. How long do you think it took the Romans to build that ramp by hand? They didn't have an excavator coming in there. 
How long do you think it took them to build that ramp by hand to get up to the top of that fort? It was years. But let's also go back. How long do you think it took them to build that fort up there in the first place? Years. In other words, it took years for you to begin thinking this way. It took years of lies being told to you. It took years of things happening to you to deeply build this fortification within your mind. So to naively think that you're going to get three simple steps to have a new you by Friday, it ain't going to happen. That's not where we're going here with this, okay? However, it is the strategies that you will have to use over the next couple years if you're going to take this out. And that's the other thing about taking out a stronghold. You gotta wanna do it. You have to be committed to do it. That Roman group, they were committed to do it. They built structures that are still there 2,000 years later for two reasons. One, you're out in the middle of nowhere, nobody's gonna mess with the stuff. There's a lot of stuff that was built you know, 2,000 years ago but ain't there because somebody else wanted to land. Out in the middle of the desert out there, nobody wanted to mess with it, so the stuff's still there. But you've gotta be committed to it and it's going to take a lot of effort and energy, and you've got to see it through to the long haul. You've got to be playing the long, haul, long game if you're going to deal with the stronghold, right? You've got to play the long game if you're going to deal with the stronghold. And this is for a change you want to see happen in your life or a change you want to see happen in somebody's life that you're, that's in your life. It's a long, long process. If you think it's overnight, it's not going to happen. But the steps are this. Uh, number one is you've got to feed your mind the truth. He says, we demolish these arguments. Uh, we, we, we take captive everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So if the lies are what led to this problem, we've got to begin to feed ourselves the truth. We've got to be looking for sources of truth. We've got to be uh, putting into our mind truth again and again and again and again and again. It's not like you can come and get one sermon and I'll be fixed. It's not like you can go to the Dave Ramsey class and instantly have your finances taken care of. That's why I say, you know, my sermons are of some use when it comes to changing your financial habits, but it has no match for like Financial Peace University where you're doing something for 13 weeks. But even those 13 weeks aren't going to change you unless you stick with those patterns that were developed over that time. So number one is you've got to find a way to feed your mind truth. What you feed grows, what you starve dies. And what you don't realize is you've been feeding yourself lie after lie after lie through confirmation bias. You're looking for everything you can to reinforce the stronghold. You are basically uh, bringing supplies to that stronghold in your life so it can remain there. Now, as long as the people up on top of that mountain had supplies, they could stay there indefinitely. One of the primary ways that you deal with siege warfare is you starve them out. And so you've got to be feeding that which is you want to grow in your life, and you've got to be starving out that which is the stronghold. Now, there was, a, there was a statement over top of the library at Florida State that I remember reading it. I didn't understand it in college. I understand it now. It said, the half of knowledge is knowing where to find knowledge. So true. The half of knowledge is knowing where to find knowledge. I'm going to twist that slightly for our purposes here. Knowing where to find truth is half the battle. Knowing where to find truth is half the battle. Knowing who you can listen to and who you can trust matters. Just picture you're in an office and you're trying to lead this office and there's all kinds of controversy and rumors going around. One question you gotta ask is, who can I trust to tell me the truth? Because everybody's got their version of the truth, but who is really gonna tell me the truth? Uh, now, where do you go for this? I'm gonna give you the obvious one up front. You know where I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say the Bible. Now, 
You may not have a Christian background. You may not believe the Bible. And because I know many of you in this room struggle to believe the Bible, that's why I preach the way that I preach. I preach assuming that Bible is truth. And because the Bible is truth, I don't need God's authority to make it true. In the same way, I don't need to tell you anything about Newton or any of his credentials to be able to prove to you that gravity is real. I've talked about this before, right? Gravity is truth, whether you accept it or not, whether you believe the credentials of Newton or any other scientist or not, gravity is true, and I don't need any authority behind it to prove it. At the same time, the benefit of having an honest, true authority is that it's a real shortcut to truth. I don't have to have a gravitational error or pain or hurt to figure out gravity if somebody just tells me what happens. Does that make sense? It's like with your kid, you say, don't touch it, that's hot. Well, do they trust you or do they not? Well, if they trust you, they learn the easy way. If they don't, they learn the hard way. I'm going to give you a little tip for life. What God's telling you is true. You can either take it as true and take the easy route to it, or you can learn the hard way in life. Personally, I've gotten to the point where I just want to go, okay, God, what do you say to do here? I'm going to try that. Because I've tried other things and they're not working. So you've got to know where to find truth and who you can trust. Um, other places, people. There are people you can trust and there are people you can't trust. There are people who are feeding lies into your life for their own purposes. There are people who are continuing to put you down. You've been listening to their voices all your life, but you think that you have to listen to them because you're related to them or you're married to them or they're in your family or they're somebody you work with. You don't have to listen to those voices. I'm not saying you have to walk away from them altogether. I'm just saying that's not a voice you have to listen to. And you also have to recognize that's not a voice that's telling you the truth. Um, there are some people, though, uh, and I, some of these people tell you the truth and some people aren't. The categories are friends, counselors, small groups. Uh, there are some wonderful friends and there's some bad friends. There's some amazing counselors and there's also some very bad counselors. Uh, there's some phenomenal small groups and I've even, believe it or not, seen small groups that were very destructive only because instead of being what the small group was designed to be, it just becomes some little gossip center and gets very off course. It can happen. I, I don't just trust somebody just because of where they're from or who they say they are. You've got to vet out these sources, but when you find truth, lean in on it. Uh, this is also one of the reasons why I like to listen to worship music every single morning to start off my day. And when I'm going through a crisis, I listen to it all day long. Now, is that because I'm a preacher guy and I think it's the best music in the world? No, I like listening to a lot of different music. You probably noticed that from my bumper videos. There's all kinds of music that are shown in the bumper videos and elsewhere. Uh, I like all kinds of music, but I have to start off my day with worship music, and if I'm going through a crisis or an issue, I have to be listening to worship music nonstop. Why? Because it's like an IV drip of truth all day long. It's just like this slow drip of health going into my body every single day. It gets my mind starting off in the right place, reminding me who God is and who I am. Because what are the lies that got me here in this first place? I believe lies about God, about lies about God's character, lies about my future, lies about who I am. And one of the things that worship music does really good is just continuing to just spit truth constantly about who God is and who I am before him and what he thinks of me and what my value before he, for him is, what my future is and who God is and what I can trust in God. It is a slow IV drip of truth into your life. And I say it's like an IV drip because sometimes it's just background. You know, I'm sitting there making breakfast and it's just kind of on in the background. I'm not singing along. I'm not clapping or trying to clap or offbeat clapping. I'm just sitting there listening to the thing. But it's just constantly there reminding me and putting me in that environment immersive in it. Um, books are another great source of truth, but once again, there are good books and there are bad books. I, I've talked to some people who've read some books on relationships or on their addictions, and they were just extremely destructive. 
Uh, you got to know what you're reading. So feed your mind, uh, feed your mind truth. But part of that is know what you can trust and know what you can't. What's telling you truth and what's not. Uh, second of all, these are very basic. Nothing here is earth shattering. It's just you've got to commit to do it every single day. Uh, next one. Uh, so we got feed your mind truth. Uh, second of all, free your mind from destructive thoughts. I've got to feed my mind truth. I've got to free my mind from destructive thoughts. Uh, I have a friend of mine who passed away from COVID a couple years ago. I guess it was a year or two ago. Uh, and he used to always just say, that's just thinking, thinking. I'd say something, I'd get down on something, and he'd always just come back. I worked with him for a while uh, at one of my jobs, and he just says, that's just thinking, thinking, Steve. That's just thinking, thinking. Uh, and that's what you've got. You've got to be able to recognize when something from that stronghold in your life is speaking to you, you've got to be able to recognize that, and he says, and take it captive. When someone is taken captive in a military struggle, you're taking them out of the game, right? You're, you're taking them out of the battle. You're putting them on the sideline and saying, you don't get to participate anymore. You don't get to fight anymore. You don't get to hurt me anymore. I recognize that what you're saying is not true. You know what sometimes happens to happen in, in, in battle? Sometimes our own soldiers are taken captive. I think you guys call it put in the brig. Why do you put them there? Because what they're doing, even though they're on your vessel, is destructive to what your vessel is trying to do, right? And it's unfortunate there has to be a brig on the ship, but there has to be a brig on the ship. Why? Because you've got to recognize there are some thoughts I have go through my mind that are destructive within. Sometimes the battle, most of the time, the battle is within. It's the way you're thinking is what you're saying to yourself. Um, you've got to learn to control what it is you're thinking. Because the way these things are, the reason why we use the imagery of a rut, what happens when you drive on a muddy road that's got ruts? Your car always finds them. Your mind always finds them. Uh, we, we, we have a fancy word for this. It's called confirmation bias, right? You look for things in the news that confirm your political opinions. You look for comments that people say that confirm the stronghold destructive thought in your mind. You look for lines out of books. You look for lines out of songs. You look for something that somebody says or something that somebody does, and you'll go right into the rut of, see, just another example. See, just another example. See, that's what I've always been told. Yep, that's what I've always thought. And you've got to recognize... That's not true, and it's a rut you're falling into. You've got to recognize when your mind is in this rut. Um, and also with this, uh, part of the free your mind of destructive thoughts is there are environments that are worse. When you're driving on a road that's got ruts, you can't drive near the rut, right? Sometimes you have to, what, make a new path. You know, you look at these muddy, can you get through that without your car going through those muddy ruts? Sometimes you just got to go around. Sometimes you've got to find a new path. Sometimes you've got to find a new environment where you're not going to be in that rut anymore. Uh, then lastly, so we've got to feed your mind truth, free your mind from destructive thoughts. Lastly, focus my mind on right things. All right, let's do an experiment. Close your eyes. Do not think of a pink elephant or a blue dog. All right? Don't think of a pink elephant or a blue dog. Think of a green giraffe. All right, when I said don't think of a pink elephant and a blue dog, what's the first thing you did? Pink elephant and blue dog. When I said think of a green giraffe, what'd you do? Hopefully you thought of a green giraffe. What's the point? You know the point. You can't stop doing anything. You can just do something else. If you're sitting in your room telling yourself, I'm not going to look at that, if you're sitting at a buffet table saying, I really shouldn't anymore, how long are you going to last? You're going to go back there. 
you will end up taking another bite. That's why the only way I can stop eating is I gotta push the food away, right? And I'll do that when I, especially Mexican restaurants, those darn chips, they're from the devil, aren't they? <laughs> and as soon as you, I'm like, that's it, I'm just gonna finish off this one basket and then no more. And before you can turn around, whoop, here you go. <laughs> and I've, I've gotta push the thing away, why? Because I know I can't stop. I know I can't stop. Uh, I, I, I've got to focus on something else and I can't, Focus on something else as long as that's right in front of me. I've got to push it away. I've got to remove, free my mind, subjective thought, free my, my, my environment, but I've got to think on something else. I've got to go out and mow the yard so it keeps me from eating more chips. I've got to go do something else, think on something else, focus on something else. The psalmist says it this way. I've made up my mind to obey your law no matter what. That's Psalm 119, 112. It says, I've made up my mind, I'm going to obey your law no matter what. That's something I decided I'm going to do. I'm gonna decide that it is true, and that's what I'm going to do. And if what I'm doing does not line up with that, I'm gonna focus on what your word says. I'm gonna make up my mind, I'm gonna do what it says. Uh, Philippians 4.8 says it this way. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I love the way the message translation puts it. It says, fill your minds and meditate on things that are true. All right, so fill your minds and meditate on things that are true. To meditate means to go over it again and again and again. I'm gonna fixate on that. So far, your, your stronghold is fixating on something it shouldn't, so now I'm going to fill my mind, I'm gonna meditate on uh, things that are, he says, things that are true, things that are honorable. So fill your minds and meditate on things that are true. What is true about me? What is true about this relationship? What is true about what I'm capable of? Because I keep on saying to myself, I can't stop. I keep on telling me I don't have any options. Is that true? Is that really true? Think on what is honorable. Is what I am thinking about doing honorable? No. What is it that I could do that would be honorable? What is something right now that I would be proud to say that I did? What would be something right now that I could be proud to say I was thinking? What would be right now something I would be proud to say that I said? Uh, what is honorable? What is just? What is authentic? What is compelling? What is gracious? Think about the best, not the worst. Think about the beautiful, not the ugly. Think about things to praise, not things to put down. So fill your mind and meditate on these things. Unless you train your brain that you will feed it truth, you will free yourself from the destructive thoughts, and you'll focus on something else, you're gonna go right back into that same rut. This doesn't happen overnight. It takes practice to recognize that's not a true thought. That's the rut that I've been talking about. That's the thing that I'm having an issue with. That kind of thinking right there. Sometimes you will be able to do it yourself. Sometimes you need somebody else to do it for you. Where you go, yep, just another example. Whoa, 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 no, no, no. No, this is not another example of that. Um, I'll get personal with you. I struggle off and on over my life with depression. And the reason why is if you know my life story, I've got plenty of reason, right? I can, you ever have one of those things where you play the who's had it worse game? I win that one more often than not. Some of y'all have beat me. I, man, good Lord, God bless you. A handful of you have beat me on that one. And my heart goes out to you and I literally do pray for you. Uh, because if you can beat me on that game, you need prayer. Um, but because of all those things I go through, there's lies that I, I, I am tempted to believe. 
Like the, that's why I say my life verse is, I would have despaired if I didn't believe I would see the goodness of the Lord once again in my lifetime. Why is that my life verse? Because that's the life verse that is the truth that I need to focus on to take out the stronghold in my life. Psalm 27, 13. I would have despaired. Despair is where you get to the place where you don't think that God has a good future for you anymore. And I think that God's lying sometimes when he says, you're going to have a great future. Really? Doesn't look like it. All signs point to wrong. I think God forgot about me. Maybe in general, the whole world will have a good future, but along the way, there's some casualties. That would be me. Or as one of my close friends says, you know, Steve, maybe your life is only to serve as, to people as a warning. <laughs> as how bad it could get and why they need to have God in their life. <laughs> he says it jokingly, of course. Um, remember I said you gotta figure out who you can trust and what voices, not all friends are friends, yeah. Uh, but I would have despaired if I didn't believe what was really true about the nature of God, the nature of my life, nature about the future that God has for me. I would have despaired if I didn't believe that. It's a stronghold that I would suck back into, and you can go back into my high school years and see that I had issues there, and you can go, and one of the telltale signs for me is I don't eat when I get really depressed. So, now, I want to be looking good. That's not, I don't get that run. So just because I'm like, if I get in shape, if I do, it's not always because I'm depressed. But I can tell you, if I get below 160, 165, somewhere in there, I got issues. And my staff knows this. And they would just, every time I'd come in, they go, hashtag feed Pastor Steve. <laughs> and what are they, why are they saying? That's their way of speaking truth back into my life and saying, don't go down this path. Don't go down this path. But there are ruts that I can get into, and I know I can that's why I got to watch what I listen to as far as my music goes. That's why I got to have that IV drip of worship music. That's why I got to go back and re-listen to sermons, messages, either that I've preached or that other people have preached that pull me back into a right mind frame. I've got to go back and do each one of these steps because just when you think you've got that stronghold taken out, you realize they leave just a little sliver sometimes. And we're going to be talking about the foothold, the concept of a foothold, the foothold that leads to a stronghold is one of the messages we're going to be looking at. So with that, we're going to close right there. This is going to take you a while. Find truth. Get free from the, from the destructive thoughts. Focus on the things that will build you up and things in the right direction. Let's go, go to God in prayer. God, each one of us has strongholds in our life that have affected and impacted the way that we think and the way that we see things. They cause problems in our body. They cause problems in our relationships. They cause problems with our finances. Lord, we want to just have some magical cure for this. Father, let us um, be so aware of the need, so aware of what's at stake. Father, we will commit to lay siege to this. And Father, we would do it the way that your word says to do it, to speak truth into the lies about the knowledge of who you are, your character, your plans. It would speak truth into the lies that we've told ourselves about who we are, what we're capable of, how we're made, what we're worth of, what our worth is, and what your future for us is. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.